This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, Women to Watch. Here's your host, Sue Rocco. Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm thrilled to be back in the studio after a short break away. Um, And it's great to be back to share with you another great story of a woman who's a leader here in the Philadelphia area. Her name is Suzanne Sawyer. She's going to be joining me in just a moment. And Suzanne is the vice president and chief marketing officer of Penn Medicine. Uh, So stay with us, and and she'll be joining me in just a moment. Be sure to stay with us as well during the breaks, where you'll hear from our watch team of on-air contributors bringing you the latest uh, and important information around your health, education, finance, technology, leadership, and diversity. And please feel free to reach out to me or any member of our watch team anytime at womentowatch.net. That's women2watch.net. So now... Happy to welcome to the show, Suzanne Sawyer. Suzanne, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks so much, Sue. It's very nice to be here. Um, I was reading your bio and doing a little homework on your background, and uh, you shared with me your um, upbringing in State College, which many people probably are familiar with. And it sounds to me like you had somewhat of an idyllic upbringing there um, as an only child. And I wondered if you could share um, a little bit about your younger years and and how mom and dad may have shaped uh, the work that you do today. Oh, thanks very much. Yes, State College is in the center of uh, the state of Pennsylvania, as many people know, and a lot of people know it as Happy Valley. And in many ways, that's how it was for me as a young girl growing up there. Uh, You're right, I am an only child. And um, but with a big family, um, cousins and uh, aunts and uncles who live nearby. Um, but as a family, we were always involved with um, going out and being very active. Uh, I used to play tennis with my dad and used to go sailing, took sailing lessons with uh, my parents as well. We used to enjoy getting out sailing as well as flying. Both of my parents were pilots. Wow. Um, It was really interesting. In fact, my mom uh, took her flight lessons while she was recently engaged to my dad. 
and my mom took her solo um, for her license, her final license, the day before she and my father were married, which oh I thought was kind of gutsy. Yes. And she was involved with a really wonderful organization called the 99s. And this was an organization of women who were pilots, and it was founded by Amelia Earhart. Wow. Mm-hmm. Is that something she had always wanted to do, or did your dad inspire her to do it? She wanted to share with him the, this hobby. Uh, I think she wanted to share the hobby. She was always a very strong, you know, self-assured woman. And she uh, learned about this organization of women pilots, and she got involved with them. And uh, they would have uh, fly-ins to different places across uh, the state of Pennsylvania. And uh, anyway, it was something that she and my father enjoyed very much. But it was a real inspiration to me to know that my mom... um, First of all, was able to do something with dad in in that regard, but also do it on her own and do it so well and do it with other women. Right. And and just the act of flying a plane alone, I think, takes a lot of courage. (laughs) Did she did she encourage you to do it as well? Well, I was encouraged to do it, um, but my parents ended up selling our plane, which was a little Cessna 172 by the time I was uh, 14. They sold it, which was right at the age that you're allowed to get your uh, pilot's license. Right. So I haven't done it. I didn't do it then, but I've always maintained an interest in it. And uh, interestingly, sailing is actually really very similar to flying, knowing navigation and lift and things like this. Okay. So um, it's something that I took up later. Yeah. Um, you've described yourself as being middle-brained, and, and I, I know that your dad was uh, an engineer and a physicist, so mm-hmm intellectual. And your mom uh, was a designer and also worked um, in an administrative role at uh, the college at, mm-hmm. at Penn State. That's Is that right. correct? So tell me in what way do you see yourself, you know, um, having a combination of those traits? Right. Well, um, my father was uh, very analytical. He Uh, As an engineer and as a physicist, studied science, he studied business, uh, and he was a project manager for a defense contractor during the Cold War, and they had a lot of business uh, with the government. And I just remember that that, along with his hobby as a ham radio operator, um, really communicating with people all over the world by radio, um, was something that really interested me in that it was very technical. All of what he did was very technical, very analytical, very precise. My mom, on the other hand, um, was more creative, I would say. Uh, She was in the people business. It was her job to really communicate well, to ensure that the um, bosses that she had, um, who were deans at uh, Penn State University, were able to be where they needed to be on time, but also working with so many um, groups of students and other administrators. And as you said, my mom was an interior designer as well. So that creative creativity really came through. So putting those two together really made me feel like I've got the analytical side of my dad, although I'm not mathy the way he was, and I've got really the creative side, I think, although I'm not quite as artsy as my mom. But 
a little bit of the mix yeah. of the two. Well, I think it's interesting because those two areas are so important for the work that you do, you know, mm-hmm. marketing. Um, and particularly today, because we have the ability to track and have analytics and, and numbers on, on what we're doing. Um, I'm, I was going to jump ahead and ask you what, you know, what do you think you do best? Do you feel that, you know, you're more comfortable when you're looking at the numbers um, or are you feeling more joyful when you're thinking about, you know, creative campaigns? Gosh, <laughs> it's a little hard for me to answer because they're so interdependent. I, I love the strategy. I love thinking through a problem. And in healthcare, many times uh, we have very complex problems or challenges or needs. And uh, in the business development and the marketing area that I'm in, we're often talking about clinical programs and services, especially at Penn, that are all about um, subspecialty services and advanced medicine. And those aren't the kinds of things that one needs every day, but they're important topics to share with healthcare providers, as well as families and patients themselves. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about that, you know, what what you enjoy and what is challenging in your role there at Penn. Stay with us for the break where you'll hear from Dawn Zier, uh, now president of Tivity Health for our CEO Watch, and Holly Dowling for our Leadership Watch. We'll be right back. Now, the women to watch, CEO Watch. Hi, I'm Dawn Zier with today's CEO Watch. Today, let's talk about how to land your first board assignment and whether outside boards help executives perform better in their roles or are they ultimately a distraction from the day-to-day. Currently, I serve not only on my company's board, but several outside boards as well. Serving on public company, private equity, and not-for-profit boards can be extremely valuable as they provide different perspectives and insights on issues that all boards and management teams grapple with. As a business operator, I'm able to provide insight across broad management principles, along with expertise across specific functional areas as a board member. And what I've gotten back in return from sitting in the boardroom as a director is invaluable to me as a leader. Board service is a serious responsibility, focused on strategic oversight, good corporate governance, and fiduciary responsibility to the shareholders. I found that I gained a deeper appreciation for the management board dynamic and experiencing this across both sides of the table, sometimes as management and sometimes as a director, has made me both a more effective CEO and a stronger board member. So how does one get on a board? It's a pretty selective process, but what I encourage people to do, and this was my first step, is to join an association or a not-for-profit board. These are often larger-sized volunteer boards that need executive-level oversight and open the doors to a vast network of accomplished professionals. When I joined the Data and Marketing Association as a first-time board member back in 2008, I found the contacts were invaluable as there was literally no more than three degrees of separation to anyone in the industry that I wanted to engage with. Not-for-profit boards accomplish the same thing, often on a more local community level. More good news for those wanting to join boards is that many are beginning to expand their view on what good board composition looks like. In addition to CEO and CFO recruitment, many boards are looking for marketing, digital technology, supply chain, and cybersecurity expertise. They're also looking for gender, age, and ethnic diversity, as there are numerous studies that show that diverse boards and management teams correlate to improved company performance. Thanks, everyone. I'm Dawn Zier, here for CEO Watch. I'll be back next Sunday. Have a great week. 
Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. Watch. Hi, everybody. Holly Dowling here with your Leadership Inspirational Watch today. And so excited about the topic. And you can hear it in my voice. I'm actually even talking with a slower pace because what I'm about to share with you is one of the greatest secrets in our world that I believe as human beings, leaders, anybody out there, we don't give ourselves the gift of solitude. You know, you're hearing a lot about mindfulness, especially in the corporate arena. And yet people ask me all the time, what does mindfulness mean? And at the end of the day, what I love to say, it's called nuggets of solitude. You see, I I put together my favorite inspirations in a book a couple years ago called Hollyisms. And over and over again, I pick up the book to remind myself. And one of my favorite ones is silence is nectar for the soul. And we are not giving ourselves enough time to truly be still and be silent. And here's one of the biggest reasons why. And I want you to listen to this carefully, especially if you're leading teams and organizations. And at home, are you inspiring the people around you to take time to relish in silence and solitude? Because seven minutes a day is all you need. And crazy as it sounds, we spend so much time shoving and dumping information in our brains and trying to absorb more and more knowledge and more and more stuff and all the noise around us. And frankly, what you need the most is silence so you can hear the wisdom from within. And we all have it. We just don't tap into it. And trust me when I say a golden nugget of wisdom will come through you if you honor your spirit, your soul, and give yourself some solitude. So please reach out to me. I'd love to hear from you and hear all about the things that are happening in your world. And I'd love to be a source of inspiration. Reach out to me at hollydowling.com. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHD. Thanks for being with us. I'm having a wonderful conversation with Suzanne Sawyer, the Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer of Penn Medicine. Uh, One of the top 10... um, um, health systems, I'll say, uh, in the country. And uh, I had asked you, you know, what you enjoy more, the analytical, strategic side of marketing or the creative. And I wanted just to let you finish that thought that you were sharing. (laughs) Well, in addition to enjoying uh, solving complex problems and strategy issues, I really do love, love, love the creative process of really getting input from our healthcare providers and turning that into a story that is differentiating and compelling and hopefully visually very interesting when it's on TV or in print. And the opportunity to work with incredibly creative people on my team is really also what's inspiring as well. Um, Your career to me has been interesting because um, you've had marketing roles in several different industries, politics, health, uh, wildlife, technology, when you were with IBM. 
what brought you back to the health field? Oh, gosh. Well, it was very nice of um, uh, Penn Medicine, actually, to ask if I would return uh, to Penn after I, I went to IBM. And uh, it was um, really the belief in the mission. I really realized how mission-driven I am as a, as a person um, and my commitment to really wanting to help people and families and communities be healthier and uh, achieve better health. And there's no place like Penn to be able to do that. And so I was really honored to be asked if I would ever consider coming back. So I did. With your um, interest or, or, you know, using the word mission-driven in healthcare and helping families and people, do you ever have any political aspirations where you can make a difference on a different level? No, I would say no. Okay. But I have worked in that realm and worked on Capitol Hill for a number of years for a couple of members of Congress and for a think tank, and that was wonderful and really helped me understand things like health policy. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really enjoy the kind of role that I have now. Yeah. So you saw firsthand what that's like. That's a whole different arena. Yes, it is. Um, tell me what you think is the greatest advantage to having technology today as a tool for marketing. So you've kind of been doing this for over 30 years? Oh, boy. Is, <laughs> yes, I think right? that's about right. Okay. Yes. <laughs> and um, so you've seen, you know, things develop and progress. And uh, I, I would imagine there's advantages and disadvantages. Tell me what you think the greatest, um, you know, asset is to having technology. Well, I think that the kinds of tools that we have now to communicate digitally and then also to be able to see and understand what people respond to, react to, um, sign up for, engage with, all those things I think help us provide content that is really tailored to someone's interest and tailored to what it is that people want to know. I think in the older days, um, you know, in marketing, I think we would say what we wanted people to know. But now I think we do have the ability to really personalize content for people based on their interests, based on their, in our particular case, their, their health history, and things like that. And I think that that's important and really valuable. Can you tell me what, how you handle the stress of, of the day-to-day? You're, you know, you're leading um, a department in a very large organization. You know, Penn Medicine is an $8 billion clinical and research um, enterprise. How do you handle the stress that, uh, that comes along with that? I think it's experience. I think... Um at this point, uh, it's, it's um, the kind of thing that I, I understand the lay of the land of the work. Of course, there are things that come up, but I think I'm, I, I have naturally low blood pressure and I'm able <laughs> to really manage, I think, the stress on most days. I have an incredible team of people who, again, are also creative and analytical and everybody uh, is um, working really beautifully as a team. 
I would also say that Penn really knows and values and understands and supports the mission that we have, the role that we have. So being able to be well-supported really helps us manage the work and feel really great about it and then be able to tell the stories about how people found Penn and were able to uh, engage with the providers and uh, very often have really wonderful stories to share. Yeah, you know, it really is about storytelling, isn't it, always in in marketing. And um, two questions I had for you regarding that. You know, um, I'm assuming you're always thinking about brand awareness, um, but also revenue, right? The whole reason for marketing is revenue. Where do you go for inspiration um, when you're thinking about that next campaign? Well, I think there's two parts to that answer. <clears throat> One is I, I really I read a lot and I go to conferences and I uh, learn from other uh, accomplished people in, in the field. But I also think it's very important to have some downtime and family time and time for exercise and taking care of yourself. And when I do that, that's when I feel my healthiest and mm-hmm. that's when I feel like that's when the ideas come. I find that that's the time when I'm not hyper-focused on a problem or an issue that I can really throw myself into problem solving and idea generation. Yeah, I, I hear that a lot. It's not. It's rarely when you're sitting at the desk thinking really hard, right? That's right. It's when you're out in nature or <laughs> away from the job. Uh, I'm talking to Suzanne Sawyer, Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer of Penn Medicine. We'll be right back. Stay with us for Dr. Marianne Ritchie with our Health Watch and Terry McDermott and Maggie Corrado for our Finance Watch. Now, the women to watch, Health Watch. For Health Watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Recently, we welcomed a new family member. On March 19, Feast of St. Joseph, Thomas Joseph, our first grandchild, was born. At nine and a half pounds, it was hard to believe he was a newborn. Like any new baby, his doctors and parents have to protect him. Before a baby leaves the hospital, he or she gets one vaccination, hepatitis B. Other than that, your little angel gets no shots until eight weeks, like pertussis, diphtheria, tetanus, and flu, and others. You hear about recent outbreaks of measles and mumps in several states. Well, guess what? No MMR, that's measles, mumps, rubella, until your baby's a year old. Measles and mumps are both very contagious and can be deadly, usually from being near someone who sneezes or coughs or touches the baby. My message today, keep the baby isolated as long as possible. Avoid public places when baby's young, like the supermarket, sports arenas. Keep visitors to a minimum when he's really young. Ask your relative or friend to sit across the room. They can still see the baby, but they're not in close contact. And if they do hold the baby, ask them to wash their hands and then use a sanitizer. We discussed hand washing before. It's not the water temperature, but covering every area with soap and rubbing hands for at least 15 seconds. The friction clears the germs. Put a baby blanket over their shoulder to keep the baby off their street clothes. And don't let anyone kiss the baby. Herpes 2 is sexually transmitted, but herpes 1 causes fever blisters. We all carry it. And a baby can get herpes blisters on their faces, near eyes and ears. So painful. Number two, any household contact, close relative or babysitter, should get two vaccines at least two weeks prior to contact with the baby. A flu vaccine and a Tdap, that's tetanus, diphtheria, pertussis, or whooping cough. 
And divas, don't apologize. If people really love and care for you and that little miracle, they'll cooperate. And it's your job to protect that precious baby because he can't protect himself. Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. If you believe that family, charity, or money is deeply important for the greater good, Fortis Wealth and you to a highly personalized financial discovery process to help you visualize your financial legacy. It's not for everyone, but if you're willing to invest the time and thought, they can offer advice and strategies to help you accomplish your dreams. Fortis Advisors is a wholly owned subsidiary of Fortis Wealth, an investment advisor registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Visit Fortis-Wealth.com today because tomorrow is waiting. The Women to Watch Finance Watch. Hi, this is Terry, And this is Maggie. And we're from Fortis Wealth. Are you good enough to pick stocks that beat the market? Can your investment manager? You would think so, given the amount of money that is invested in actively managed funds. But most managers are noticing the amount of money flowing into passive investments and are scaling back on active management. So Terry, what is active versus passive anyway? We take for granted that our listeners and the public in general understand all of this financial lingo. Well, first we define the market as a benchmark like the Dow Jones Industrial Average or the S&P 500. Regarding active versus passive, let's take the answer from Charles Stein of Bloomberg, who says that active investing has been defined as buying and selling of stocks and bonds. Today it looks more like managers making investment decisions on a case-by-case basis in the hopes of beating the market. Passive investments, on the other hand, are funds or ETFs that track market indexes like the S&P. As an investor, you will do as well as the overall market, no better or worse. Oh, an ETF stands for electronically traded funds. Terry, here's a quote from an economist, Burton Malkiel, a Princeton University professor. He claimed that a blindfolded monkey throwing darts at the stock listings could do as well as a professional money manager. Malkiel didn't dispute the idea that some managers could outperform. But as a group, he argued, they would produce the same results as the market, minus the higher fees they charge. Another favorite thought leader of ours, Warren Buffett, has estimated that investors wasted more than $100 billion on high-fee Wall Street money managers over the past 10 years. Another study by S&P Dow Jones Indices in 2016 showed that about 90% of active stock managers failed to beat their index targets over the previous one-year, five-year, and 10-year periods. Fees explain a significant part of that underperformance. So the bottom line is, always be mindful of the fees you're paying and understand what you're getting in return. This is Terry. And this is Maggie. Peace out. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Just before the break, Suzanne and I were talking about where she goes for inspiration for her storytelling and and branding for uh, Penn Medicine and it's such a large organization. Um, I would like to know what a typical day is like for you because of the job that you have. <laughs> Aside, so for today, you're doing a radio interview, and then what are you doing when you leave here? Sure. Well, uh, when I leave here, I'll go back and meet with the team and uh, take a look at, again, how some campaigns are performing and talk a little bit about our next 
branding campaign. So as you said, some of it is about growth. A whole lot of it is about growth. And a whole lot of it is also about building the brand. And so we do have an approach to that that I'm um, really proud of, that I think really expresses those stories. And so it takes time to think that through and get that right. And Mm. so I spend a lot of time with the people on my team and then the agencies that we work with and then our senior leadership. So it's a little bit of a round robin of all of that uh, on any given day. Can you talk about your leadership style, what your philosophy is for motivating your team and the people that you work with? Uh, Hire well and hire right and get really great people on the team. Uh, Give them the resources that they need to do their job. And that, again, is something that I think we do really quite well at Penn, uh, and I'm proud of that. Uh, And then really work on creating um, these, these teams of people who come from different functions. Um whether it's a content person, someone who writes content, say, for our website, or someone who uh, is a designer, maybe lays out um, ads or helps to inform the development of TV and radio, or people who work in analytics. So bringing people together to really understand how to put a campaign together, how to evaluate it, uh, and how to make it better. So what worked? What didn't? Again, back to the analytics question, we now have the ability to to see what works Mm -hmm. and what doesn't so much, what people respond to and and the kind of content that they like. So it helps us uh, really um, have a good effect. So that's, I I think, how we work really well, and it's really very much about teams. So it really is always a collaborative effort. Do you do the hiring yourself, or is there someone else that's a recruiter for the marketing department? We have wonderful assistance from our HR team, and uh, they do an awful lot of the early efforts of screening candidates, but I uh, uh, have several people on the team in the different functional areas that do the hiring, but for more senior people, uh, I do that. Okay. Um, Another role you have is as a professor at the Wharton School. Um, You're a teacher. You teach strategic brand management, healthcare and marketing, and data and analytics. Um, I wanted to know what surprises you most about the students, because students today, I think, are different from students from, you know, 30 years ago. 30 years ago. Well, first, let me be clear. I'm not a professor. I I do a lot of guest lecturing at Wharton. Okay. And um, but your question still is holds true, and um, I have seen actually over the years. Um, I think you're right that that the students are very um, uh, knowledgeable about, especially at the master's level, for example, and the MBA level. Uh, they they know the industry. They, and in, in most of these cases, I'm speaking to classes that are focused on healthcare um, and the business of healthcare. And it may be on the provider side or hospital side, it might be pharmaceuticals, it might be medical devices, it might be technology. Um, but many of the people who are in these classes are very savvy. Some of them have their MD, they might have their JD, they might not, they might be 
um, investors in startups. And so it really keeps me on my toes, and I'm learning almost as much, I would say, if not more, than they are. I try to share what it's like to really think about how to market and develop strategy for hospitals and health systems and within healthcare, especially in these days. Um, but that's that's a little bit of, of uh, where I find some inspiration is is really from the students. They and bring a lot. How, what is the ratio of girls to boys, men to women in these classes? You know, I think it's about 50-50 now. Is it? It might be yeah. a little heavily, more heavily skewed in some classes um, with the men, but I wouldn't say it's over 60-40. Um, I wanted to mention that, you know, you're a mother as well. You have two daughters. Mm-hmm. And I, I'd love to know when you look at them what you hope your role as a leader in this field, um, what it will show them and how it will help to um, build their own self-esteem and, and in turn have them pursue uh, leadership as well. Well, this is where I... Uh, have such a warm spot, I think, probably, as most mothers have. My daughters are 33 and 27, and they're strong women in their own right right now. And, um, and I do think that the way we've approached my husband and I, my husband Dan and I, have really tried to have an environment where they had opportunity to experiment and learn and sometimes stumble and fall. Um, and to gain confidence in um, in what they're doing, um, whether it's in play or in work or in teams, we sail as a family and have had you know challenging situations on the water, and we work as a team. But my daughters are each in the process of growing and maturing, of course, as we do all through our lives, um, and. Uh, my younger daughter is a filmmaker, and oh, wonderful. she is uh, traveling around the world producing really interesting stories, wow. and I think she and her older sister get a little bit of that from me. Oh, wow. Well, I want to hear a little bit more about that when we're going to take one more break. Uh, stay with us. You'll hear from Mary Manzo for our Tech Watch and Hanadi Shahabuddin for our Diversity Watch. We'll be right back. This is the Women to Watch Peace be upon you all, this is Hanadi with your weekly diversity segment. When we put our trust in someone, we need to be confident about their capabilities and attributes. God's unequivocal call to depend on Him alone is very central to the faith of Muslims. It's a blind trust that is supported by the attributes of God mentioned in the Quran through His 99 names. The Mighty One, the Provider of Safety, the Dominant, the Honorer, the Just, the sublime, the sustainer, the reliever, and all the remaining names that God calls himself to be in the Quran. Knowing him invites believers to put all their trust in him. They seek no other provider but him. They demand protection from him alone. They ask for his healing power. Now, does that conflict in any way with pursuing logical reasons to get the results, like actually seeking a job to sustain oneself, taking medication to heal, and so forth? Not at all. For Muslims, seeking the cause to create the effect is actually answering God's call. So people should find ways to get what they want, but their hearts are always attached to the one that sends the results down. 
So two main functions intertwined, the body seeking the earthly causes and the heart asking for the divine intervention or the result. Both of these actions make a perfect state of peace. When the earthly causes cease for any reason, hope is still there because the creator of the effect is still there. Today's prophetic ethic, my friends, is depending on God alone. Our bodies and minds seek reasons to take action while our hearts are at peace with the result even when they fail because they're meant to be from the all-knowledgeable, the merciful, the source of peace, the equitable one, the guardian, the compeller, the self-existing one. No more fear, nor worries, when we know that the one taking care of our affairs is the supreme being. Don't forget to connect with me on hanadispeaksout.com. Who is Holly Dowling? Holly is a dynamic keynote speaker and inspirational thought leader. You see what we have the ability to do and the power we have. You hold the power for good. Each and every one of us can do something. Holly has inspired millions around the world, including over 500,000 executives, and her show is listened to in 87 countries. Now we're going to spend 25 minutes on your areas of opportunity. Listen to our internationally acclaimed podcast, A Celebration of You, Holly Dowling, empowering those who can change the world. HollyDowling.com. Now, the women to watch. Tech Watch. Hi, I'm Mary Manso of Pathways Consulting Group. CIOs may have great ideas, but if you can't get the IT talent, that's a growing problem, says Bob Miano, president and CEO of Harvey Nash USA. I read an article that suggested that recruitment issues will potentially harm IT modernization efforts. Recruiting more women into the technology industry can only help, but as I've discussed in the past, the participation of women in the technology industry has declined in the past 20 years. It is the one STEM discipline where the participation of women has not increased. Did you know that a lack of women in technology can lead to a decrease in performance and profits, creating a missed opportunity for businesses? Greater gender diversity in technology impacts businesses' bottom line, as research from Morgan Stanley indicates. Ensuring that there's a good balance of women leading and working in the workplace just makes for good business. A field experiment published in Management Science found that teams with an equal gender mix had better sales and profits than male-dominated teams. So, why does gender diversity lead to better performance? It's called collective intelligence. In other words, when you add women to a group, the presence of women leads to a higher collective intelligence, which in turn strengthens the group's ability to solve problems, build solutions, and come up with ideas. Higher gender diversity teams not only enjoy better returns, but companies that adopt gender diversity could more likely outperform companies that don't. If we're going to increase the amount of women in the technology industry, we have to start considering how we change our approach. It will require strategies that appeal to the values and lifestyles of women. I'd love to share your thoughts on this topic in a future segment, so please email me at mary at pathwayscg.com with your ideas and input. Now more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I'm having a wonderful conversation with Suzanne Sawyer, the Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer of Penn Medicine here in Philadelphia. And we were talking about your daughters before the break. Uh, One is a filmmaker. That's fascinating and wonderful. Uh, Tell me about your other daughter, what she's doing. My older daughter is uh, Alexandra, and she's in marketing. And again, you know, similar kind of discipline, and she really enjoys that. And I think she also, like her sister, really enjoys the process 
of telling stories and connecting with people and engaging around things that people enjoy. So she's yeah. she's on that track too. She's on that track too. <laughs> okay, like mother, like daughter. Yes. Yeah. Um, can you tell me? Can you share with me a um, one of your proudest? professional moments, perhaps something that really just was incredibly successful, um, and then also personal. Um, I always like to share something about my guests that, you know, uh, personally perhaps has been a challenge or hard, and you've been able to overcome. Sure. Uh, honestly, I think one of my proudest professional moments was actually pretty recently, uh, working at Penn. Um, first of all, coming back to Penn after having been at IBM and we were, I was asked if I would uh, spearhead an effort to uh, refresh the Penn brand, which is something I had advocated for a little bit um, before I went to IBM. And so they asked me to do that. And I think the work that we've produced in telling the stories about immunotherapy and um, treating cancer and reversing inherited blindness and other kinds of amazing stories that are happening at Penn. I'm very proud of that and being able to tell that story. On the personal side, I would say that, um, you know, as a mother, as a wife, married for 34 years, I think it's it really is about my family. I wouldn't say it's a single moment, but my my uh, my younger daughter just got engaged just oh, before exciting. Christmas, and we just had a wonderful engagement dinner together as a family. Uh, her fiance Max's family came, and I was just so proud to look around and to see the love that everyone had, and um, it made me feel like this was a really special moment of young women who are strong, who are capable, finding partners and having um, a real sense of a strong family. And that's, to me, what's so important to raise a healthy family, mm. um, to have that type of relationship and that type of commitment. And, uh, and, I, and I can see that in their future. Yeah, that's beautiful. I think, you know, it's, it's so obvious that no matter how great our work is and what we do out there in the world, it always comes back to family. <laughs> sure does. Yeah. What do you feel about, you know, I always say that I think this is the most exciting time in history for women. There's so much going on. There's so much support. Uh, there's so many conversations about the power of women and what we really are capable of. Um, what are your thoughts on that? And do you have any advice for someone who might be listening, a young woman who perhaps wants to pursue your industry um, and is a little hesitant, you know, lacking that confidence? <laughs> well, I guess in my own experience, it's really been about putting one foot in front of the other. And, um, and so I think when you do that, it allows you to not just see the end point, which might seem far away. When you take the time to really imagine what are those steps along the way and to meet with people and ask people. I've done this many times myself. I've met with many young women and men to talk about career progression and career growth. 
and to really think about, break it down into its pieces and parts. Then it doesn't quite seem so distant or Mm. so scary. Mm. And to find mentors. And that's something that we've done within my team at Penn, uh, across the organization in Penn, and to give, again, women and men opportunity for the uh, um, ability to have people to go talk to and learn from. Yeah. We have about a minute and a half. Is there someone who you want to kind of give a shout out to that believed in you throughout your life that was a mentor? Well, I would say my mother, um, as a matter of fact, and not a mentor in a professional sense, but a mentor as in how to be, I think, how do I put this? How to be graceful under pressure, how to be purposeful in effort, and how to be um, kind and reflective when things are going well and to share credit where it's due. Mm, that's, a great, uh, that's a great lesson and very hard to do, I would say, in the environment in which we live where things are coming at us so quickly and and everything is very high stressed. I can sense you you are a very calming person and <laughs> and I would imagine that you know that is is helpful to you. Well, um it works for me and I'm also surrounded by people who are high energy and I feed off of that as well and I love that. Um but being able to take a deep breath and manage through what is important worthy work at Penn Medicine is something that is has been a real joy for me. Is is there a contact information for you if someone's listening and wants to connect? Sure. Um, and my email address is suzanne.sawyer at penmedicine.upenn.edu. Perfect. Suzanne, thank you so much for joining me this evening. I really appreciate it. Thank you so You're much. You're doing Sue. great work. This is fun. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Thank you so much, as always, to our sponsors and contributors for helping me to bring you the real story behind her title. Here on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Have a great week. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.